If you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. As we continue a sermon series we started a few months ago and are reaching back into across all three campuses through the book of Mark. And this month will be the ministry to the disciples. As we studied the last time, Jesus came to reveal God to man and invite man to God. And we will reach Mark 8:34 before we end our time today. But I want you to see what is said at the beginning of the verse of Mark chapter 8, verse 34, where the Bible says, Then calling to the crowd to join his disciples. Then calling to the crowd to join his disciples. Drawing a crowd was not the purpose of Jesus. Getting a bunch of folks together and filling their minds with wonder, that, that was not the purpose of our Lord and Savior. Truth is, is that anybody can do that. Anybody can get together a crowd. Anybody can entertain and fill the mind with wonder. Seriously, anyone. I want you to watch this video as an example. This video has been viewed millions and millions and millions of times. In fact, spinoffs, remakes of this video has been seen millions and millions and millions of times. Anything, it seems in our culture, anything, anyone with the power of video, social media, so much now can just draw a crowd. In fact, this month there is a mixtape tour coming to Nashville that is featuring the following lineup. In Vogue, Salt and Peppa, you got to be careful how you pronounce that one, it's accuracy. Rick Astley and New Kids on the Block are all coming to Nashville together this month. Thousands of people will attend this. Thousands. Some of you young folks are in here like, I don't know any one of those. <laughs> in fact, when I saw the name Rick Astley, I was like, I'm not even sure who that is. And when I looked it up, that's the guy that does, never going to give you up, never going to let you down. Yeah, like five of you know who that is. He's going to draw thousands of people to Nashville. And then new kids on the block, which those guys, I'm not, I know how old I am. So those guys are going to bring, and I know this because I Googled obscure illustrations of what could draw a crowd. And, and this is one of the things that, that came up. And on the website, the website that some of you now are searching to book your tickets to Nashville, <laughs> on, on the website at the top right-hand corner, it features icons of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. For what purpose? So that you can follow them. So that you can follow them. You see, that's what following is today in our culture. That's what following looks like. It's reading the words or watching the life, or listening to the music of one or another for the purpose of interest, for the purpose of entertainment, for the purposes of self-interest, 
Sometimes we follow people on social media. Sometimes we follow their words, their music, their life so that we can be encouraged, so that we can feel better about ourselves. Sometimes the self-interest leads to the damaging purpose of envy. We actually follow people who have things that we don't have that makes us wish that we have what we don't have, but they do. That's craziness. And this is what following looks like in our day and time. But none of that is following. That's not what it is. Following simply and seriously is going where one goes and doing what one does. If I said, follow me, and I went this way, the expectation of following is for you to come behind me and go to where I'm going, doing what I'm doing. If you were to stay back and I said, follow me, and you went over there and you were like, hey, guys, y'all look at him. He's, he's going that way. That's awesome, isn't it? Well, you like it and you've retweeted it, but you are not doing it. So following in its simplest form, in its most serious form, is going and doing, as you see before, what you choose to go and do behind. Just before the invitation to the crowd, Jesus was closely teaching his disciples it was one of those, bring it in, for those of you that follow me closely. And, and his invitation for all of the crowd that was also following was an invitation to know him personally, to know what he thinks, to hear what he says, to go and do what Jesus went and did. It is not the desire of Jesus for us to just corporately check all this out. For us to just kind of be together and see what's going on and check in with the Lord. It is the desire of Jesus for us to personally take it in. Like when we leave here, the gospel goes with us. When we leave here, we are following Jesus when we go eat, when we go back home, when we're around others, when we're not. And in chapters 8 through 10 of Mark, there is this shift in emphasis from the ministry of Jesus to everybody that's looking on to the ministry of Jesus to those who are following him. And I would ask you today to consider this on the front end. Which one of those are you? Are you in the crowd that's kind of just gathered together to see what's going on and how it works and this is what we do? Or is this personal to us to where it, it, the Spirit of God goes with us as we follow Jesus? If you're in Mark chapter 8, the verses 27 through 30, the Bible says, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. And as they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say that I am? Jesus asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say that you are one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, we pray that your spirit would fill our minds with truth. Lord, lead us away from ourselves. God, if there are improvements to be made in our life, that you would bring that to light today. Lord, I thank you for your word and your spirit. And I pray, oh God, that you would draw your church closer to you. And for those, God, who are wavering and wondering about their own salvation, that your spirit would draw them to a place of decision today. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the confirmation of Jesus. Who do you say that I am? Who do they say that I am? You see, the difference between those two questions is the difference between the multitudes and the disciples. A multitude is saying, this is who they say that you are. 
Peter is saying, I agree with who you say that you are. These, the, the multitudes say, you're John the Baptist. Jesus, some of these folks are saying that you are a preacher, that you are a preparer of the one that is to come, that there is going to be another Messiah that is going to do what we want him to do. And so they are saying that you are John the Baptist. Some are saying, Jesus, that you are Elijah. You are a prophet that's returned from old to tell us more about future events. You see, John the Baptist and Elijah are not bad. They're just wrong. It's not a bad thing for the crowd to think that he is good like this, but other religions do this. Muslims consider Jesus to be a prophet of God. New Age religions consider Jesus to be a spiritual thinker, a great spiritual thinker. Again, those things are not negative. But regardless, the Word of God and the teachings of Jesus won't allow for his identity to be reduced to anything other than what Peter said. You are the Messiah. You are the chosen one of God, sent to deliver many from their sins who would turn from themselves and turn to God by faith in you, O Lord. You are the one that makes people fit for heaven. In fact, in order for someone to simply just honor Jesus as a great leader or a good spiritual giant, if you really want to do that, you have to add into that how Jesus considers himself. So if you think Jesus is spiritually awesome and a good leader and has made a positive impact on culture, you also have to add, according to what he said, that he's also a little bit crazy. Because Jesus doesn't say he's a representative. Jesus doesn't say, while he holds the office of prophet, that he came to be a prophet. Jesus does not make a claim that he is a spiritual thinker. He does not make a claim that he is just another preacher. Jesus' claims are that he is God. He is God Almighty, functions as the Son, but fully in the essence of God. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus said, believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus said, before Abraham was even born, I am. And these are the claims of Jesus. So his claims are not to be a representative. He claims that he is God. You see, in today's world, all sides of people are trying to use Jesus for what they want to accomplish. We are trying to take Jesus and mold him into our worldview box so that he becomes what we want him to become. I say to you today that Jesus is not just a champion of social justice. I also say to you today that Jesus is also not just a champion of moral reform. On these two, I honestly think that if Jesus were up here on a panel and he walked out and we walked with him, that some of our questions, if Jesus were to take Q&A, some of our questions would be like this. Seriously, Jesus, are you a Democrat or a Republican? <laughs> Y'all laugh. I'm 100% serious. And some of you are already going, I already know the answer. Why would I ask him that? <laughs> Both sides of the aisle. And they do that because there's certain things that they want Jesus to speak for and be inside this box that we put him in. So we use Jesus for a champion of social justice. We use him as a champion of moral reform. And Jesus is saying, I am God Almighty. I am not about a country. I am building a kingdom, a kingdom of God, a kingdom that none of us will be able to enter in if not for the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is who he is and what he came to do. 
don't make Jesus smaller than he is. He is not a positive thinker. He is not a precursor for anyone else. Those are not bad. But if those are your conclusion, the identity of Jesus is enough for your side, but he's not enough for your salvation. Let me say that one more time. If you put Jesus in a box that you want him to fit into, he may be enough for the side that you are standing so tall on, but not enough for your salvation. Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. As God, he is over all. As the Son of God, it was his function to live for our standard, to die for our sins, a sacrificial death. He arose from the grave to validate all of the claims that he is God. And he will come again when the Father says the time is right. He is the anointed one of God who says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to the Father if not by the Son. So let me ask you a question today, the same question that he asked those who were following him, who do you say that he is? Who do you personally say that Jesus is? Who does your life say that he is? When Peter answered, you are the Messiah, that was a personal acknowledgement that Jesus is the chosen one of God, that he is everything, not just something. And because of that, Peter's life was directed towards going where Jesus went and doing what Jesus did. In Matthew's gospel, when Peter makes this statement, Jesus says to him, I'll build my church on you, Peter, and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? It means you're going to be what I'm about and you're going to go where I go. So that's what it means to follow Jesus. This message series, we're going through at all three campuses. The first one I led, this one is led by Alan or Alan Ostrisky, our Lindsay Lane North pastor. And in leading this series in his commentary that he sent out, it said this, until we settle our minds on who Jesus is, we will always be unsettled in our obedience to him. It's a good word. Until we settle our minds on who Jesus is, we will always be unsettled in our obedience to him. Here's what that means. If Jesus is just an influence in your life, if Jesus is someone that you always fall back on when it's time to ask for forgiveness, if Jesus is just your Savior and not your Lord, this allows much room in our life when we make decisions. If he's just an influence in our life, if he is just one we go to to ask forgiveness, when decision time comes, that leaves a lot of room between what we want to do and what God wants us to do. Because if Jesus is your Lord, it don't matter what you want to do. It doesn't matter what our desires say. If we see Jesus for who he is, the Messiah, the one chosen of God to be Lord of all, we'll follow him as such. But then Jesus says something interesting after he confirms that he is the Messiah. He says, yes, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> I think that's interesting, right? I am the Messiah. You are right. Also, don't tell anyone. Now, why would Jesus do that? Because although Jesus was highly anticipated from the Jews, they were waiting on the Messiah, he was largely misunderstood. Even those that were following him, even those closest disciples were still working all of this out and they believed him to be a king that was going to come and dominate for Israel. They did not see him being a humble savior who would lay down his life. They thought this would be a King David kind of takeover. Like he would get out there and wipe everybody out that was an enemy. And, and think about this. If, if that would have been the case, 
that Jesus would have come like a warrior as King David, and he would have wiped out any enemy army, would have, would have taken over the Roman Empire and flipped them on top of their head and gave Israel all of it. That would mean that the people of God are still left with the number one enemy, themselves. If God wipes out everybody that you disagree with today, I've made this point before, but it bears worth repeating. If God wiped out everybody on the screens, everybody on the opposite side of government, everybody in your family that gives you a hard time, if God were to wipe all those folks out and give you dominating power over them, you are still left with you. You are still left with your desires, with your nature to sin. The very thing that pulls you away from God has not been dealt with yet if Jesus came just to dominate for a certain team, a certain flag, a certain people. He came so that people would have forgiveness of their sin and to be freed up from the power of their sin so that they would be right with God, not for a season in history, but for all time. So that is the purpose that Jesus came for. Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 33, we've seen the commission, we've seen the, the calling and the confirmation. Now we see the confrontation in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 33. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders. Now, as I'm reading this, think about who they thought he was going to be. King David, warrior, knocking everybody down. And then Jesus says, I'm going to have to suffer many terrible things. I'll be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would be rising from the dead. And as he talked about this openly with the disciples, now y'all wrap your minds around this one. As he talked about this plainly or openly with the disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Great move. That's going to work out really well for you. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, seeing their response to him being reprimanded, and then he reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan. Now, Peter was not Satan. It's, it's imagery here, it's symbolism here. You are seeing things. Key point in this verse. The last part of verse 33. You are seeing things from merely a human point of view and not from God's. Peter and the disciples had just been a part of Jesus miraculously feeding thousands with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. After that, they had seen Jesus heal a blind man right in front of them. Those things are the kind of things that they were hyped up about. Like, this is what I'm talking about. Anybody that would stand against the Messiah with this kind of power is going to go down. He is going to dominate them. He's going to turn all this around for us. And so these are the things that they are getting behind. This is the kind of power and provision that they are hoping for. And then Jesus said to them, yeah, y'all bring it in. I'm getting ready to suffer and be rejected. I'm getting ready to die, but I will rise from the grave. So Peter senses that this is not going well. He looks around, and when Jesus begins to talk about suffering as they're following him, he begins to talk about suffering, and he begins to talk about rejection, and he begins to talk about those that he came for are now flipping on him, and he is going to die and be put in the grave. And as Peter senses this, 
he begins to pull the Son of God aside and scold him. Jesus, I'm going to need to speak with you just for a second. Over here. Now, I would say to you in leadership or whatever, normally pulling someone aside for disciplinary or pulling someone out of the public eye to talk to them about a serious issue that you're having is a good move. It's a good leadership principle, but not with the king of kings. Not with the Lord God. But this, Peter takes this upon himself. And again, sensing things are not going well, you see, while we know this truth, we, y'all, if you grew up in North Alabama, now, now I'm not saying this for everybody, but probably most folks here have known since birth about Jesus to the point that Jesus lived, died for sin, and rose again. Those are things that culturally we know about. They had not known this yet. They were thinking ruler, dominating, going to flip everything for us and for our glory. It's going to be awesome. The disciples would not have understood how the Messiah is to suffer and die, even though it was clearly prophesied in Isaiah 53. Y'all, sometimes we need to read our Bible. Sometimes we need to know and not just be religious, but know what we actually believe in and know our doctrines. In Luke chapter 24, verse 25, Jesus said to some of his followers, after the resurrection, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering glory? You know, in our life, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like when troubled times come and we're like, God, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Why would you let these things happen? And we've not yet considered the part of the Word of God that says, in this world you will have what? Trouble. In this world you will have trouble. You're going to tell me you don't read Psalms and Job and see how these men of God were going through difficult times? Yet when we go through these things, we become just like the disciples. Lord, I'm going to need you to come over here for just a minute because this is not what we're about to do. Lord, if you're about to take me through some suffering, I think you and I need to have a little talk. You see, when we think about troubles in our life, in our point of view, it's the worst. But in God's point of view, trouble can actually work for the best. And I get no pleasure in saying that, but I know that it is true. You see, what some will do when God doesn't lay it out like we want is we will begin to see things from a human point of view, like the Scripture says, and we will take the Lord to the side. And this is our conclusion. We will say things like this. When God's Word and our circumstances don't align with our desires, we will take the Lord to the side, and we will get before people, and we will look at them and say, this ain't really what He meant. This is not really what Jesus was meaning to say. This is not really the truth of God. It applies this way. You see, that is deception by Satan 101. That's what deceiving is. That's what it looks like. He didn't really mean that if you eat that fruit, you're going to die. You see, don't we do the same thing? Jesus really didn't mean this is going to happen in our life or we may go through this in his name. That's, that's really not what he meant. What he meant was, and when you give yourself over to that without exploring what God truly means, we are leading ourselves to be deceived by Satan and a rebuke is coming. I want to share this with you as just some examples of what I'm talking about. 
I, I want everybody from 8 to 80 to hear this, seriously. Let's just say as an example, somebody in a group of friends and, and people, they're talking about sexual relationships outside of marriage. And someone says, well, how are you going to know if it's the right person if you don't take it to the next level? And then somebody in that conversation actually says something like this. You know, I've got a different opinion. I actually think that you're supposed to drink water from your own well and share love only with your wife. Can't you just see the guy that was making that strong point about taking it to the next level, taking him aside and being like, man, you need to cool out with all that. Like, I don't, that's not what we're trying to accomplish here. We want everybody to feel the same. And See, these are real examples that happen. When the Word of God comes into play in our feelings and our desires and our emotions, it begins to halt the brakes and change direction. Maybe someone in your, in your family has been bad-mouthed by another family. You're at the ball field. Somebody has now shouted you down. They are talking about you. All of this is happening. And somebody that's on your side says, well, I don't know what we're waiting for. Let's go hit them right in the mouth. I had a guy tell me this recently. I had a guy tell me this recently that a, a family member of his called him up and he said, dude, get in the truck and we'll go and jack this guy up. And seriously, he looked back at him and he goes, okay, thank you. Now I want you to tell me something that we can actually do. I thought it was great. Because what if, that, what if within those emotions where everybody's ready to just throw fists, somebody speaks up and says, I, I think we should love our enemies and pray for those people who treat us badly. What kind of response do you think the crowd's going to have to that? But come over here. Man, you know we're all headed in the same direction. Don't do this. Don't pull that spiritual stuff and keep us from doing what's right. See, that when, when God's perspective, again, what did the Scripture say? Jesus said, you are looking at things from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. Or maybe you're in a miserable marriage and voices around you say, you just need to be happy and you need to get out. And then someone says, I don't know. You know, love never gives up. It never fails. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. Man, I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. Don't be listening to all that. Don't hear what he's got to say. God didn't really mean. Now look, I know all of these examples don't touch every circumstance. They don't touch every detail that you are going through. But the point that I'm making is that often we want God's point of view to be ours. And it's not. We want to change his point of view or lessen it when we have a decision to make. And just know this, Satan will always lead you towards what's easy. Satan will always lead you towards what, what you desire rather than what is right. What, what is the thing that you want and that the things that you want out of rather than what is holy and what is the will of God. When Peter finished with his rebuke, Jesus was like, yeah, come over here and let me tell you something. Thank God that he loves us that much. That, that he will tell us, you need to come up off thinking about this is what I want when this is your point of view and it's not mine. He explained to the disciples that he must suffer. He must be rejected. He must die. And the resurrection must happen because it's the will of God. Just like our sanctification is the will of God. And here's what the disciples had to trust that we have to trust, church. 
the will and way of God is always better. It's always better. God saves through the system of sacrifice, not through following a set of rules. That's so much better. Somebody, somebody say amen to that. God saves from our greatest enemy, our sin, not from an empire or people group that makes a season of life challenging. That's better. God doesn't give us everything that we ask for. That's better. I thank God, not like Garth Brooks who says prayers are unanswered. He's wrong about that. I thank God for when he told me no sometimes. That I prayed and asked God for this, and God said, I'm not giving you that. You don't need that. Or this is a flat-out no. That's not my will for you. God's way, we have to trust, is better. His will is better. If Jesus did not suffer and die, we would all be suffering and dying. If Jesus did not rise again, we would not rise again. You see, we must trust that his will and his way are better, not carrying him aside to make his thoughts fit into ours. Finally, we get to the commissioning in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 35. Then calling to the crowd. Now Jesus then turns from the disciples and the personal ministry and following. And then he calls to the crowd for them to join him and them. Calling the crowd to join his disciples. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. The shift from crowd to disciple begins with self-denial. Denying yourself. Boy, amens on that, right? We all love to hear about denying ourselves. So easy, and thank you for preaching, right? The, 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 the transition from I'm a part of the crowd to now I'm following Jesus begins with self-denial. It begins with denying yourself and acknowledging the Lord. Jesus had all the power of God, and he selflessly and sacrificially laid down his life for the will of the Father so that God would be recognized and others would be blessed. Y'all, we bust up into situations now with such a spirit of entitlement, we'll go into organizations and say, y'all need to get this together because if you don't, we're out. Y'all need to do this to accommodate us, because if you don't, we're leaving. That's not self-denial. That's not an attitude of, how can we help you? That's an attitude of, I acknowledge only myself. I ain't care about any of these folks. I don't know what their needs are. Here's my need, boss. Here's my need, pastor. Here's my need, leader. Is that self-denial or self-promotion? Hey, <laughs> we've got to come up off that. Everybody hear that? In our families, in our organizations, in our ball teams, in our churches, we have got to come up off of this thing where we walk in day one and go, everybody get ready to adjust themselves to me. Because Jesus is saying in order to follow him, you give up your own way. You take up your cross. You follow Jesus in everything. If you hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. Jesus' invitation to any who would be his would be to do the very same. Now, here's the challenging part up against our culture. I'm just going to tell you, I've been dealing with this all week personally. Because in our culture, our culture celebrates self-interest. Our culture celebrates self-promotion, self-satisfaction. 
Our culture does not care how many people you follow or who you follow. Our culture celebrates how many followers you have. In fact, one source said that most professional Instagram influencers believe that you need at least 30,000 followers. Now listen to this part. You need at least 30,000 followers, not before you're famous. You need at least 30,000 followers before you can be an authority within your own niche. So now it's not about being famous. It's about power and control and recognition. In fact, it goes on to say, if you want to be famous, then you need 100,000 followers and that will be your goal. Y'all folks are losing their mind in order for somebody on the other side of a phone to click follow and get just one more. But this is, this is our, our desire. One leader said it this way, the call of Jesus is not to deny your neighbor, take up your comfort and follow your dreams. Following Jesus for real looks like yielding how you live, why you live, and what you live. So that we will follow and live for the will of God, the glory of God, and the good of people. So the question of, hey, what do I want to be when I grow up? Wrong question. Students, are you hearing me? Teenagers, are you hearing me? The question of, what do I want to be when I grow up? Wrong question. The question of, what do I want to experience before I die, college kids? What do I want to get in before I enter that chapter that's adulthood? Wrong question. The question of what do I want out of life, that's the wrong questions. Those questions have to be out of place if Jesus said, and he meant, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. If you find this heavy, then join me. Because again, I've been thinking, I, myself, as I'm studying through this, I had to deal with it myself and ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that you want me to give up? What is it that I need to stop? What is it that I need to lay aside so that I may be more effective for your will and your way and your kingdom? To take up your cross, to give up your life, is a call from God to essentially die. Now, what that does not mean, it does not mean that God's will is for you to harm yourself. It is God's will for us to deny ourselves. Our selfish impulses, our sinful desires. It may require us to deny personal comfort to follow Jesus. It may require us to deny our goals, our earthly ties, our social enjoyments, our grand ambitions, our material riches. And for some within the world, it may mean that they have to deny their very own life and lay it down to follow Jesus. See, this, this doesn't... This doesn't mean that our lives should be filled with misery and suffering all the time. It, doesn't, it, 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 does, it does mean pursuing a life that has our desire, that has our, his desire at the top. While it may not require suffering and misery, it, it is going to require of us a denial for the, the, the pursuit of ease and comfort and acceptance by the world. To pursue ease and comfort and acceptance by the world is a denial of Jesus. Listen to the following commentary. We're about done. A leader said, There are many who are well enough disposed to the religion of Christ till it prescribes this duty. They appear willingly to hear the Scripture, to join in prayer, to observe holy ordinances, and they will do many things which would seem to indicate an earnestness and zeal in the cause of Christ. But they draw back when called to difficult exercise of self-denial. 
I don't know about you, I needed this word this week. I needed to hear the word of God this week. You must give up your own way. I'm inspired by our missionaries that we partner with, that you see on the screens. These missionaries have given up their life, gave it away, and now they would say that they have everything. What, what is Jesus calling you out of or away from so that you may deny yourself so that you would begin to follow him for real? What does our life look like? It looks like our desires, looks like our time, our money, our influence, our pursuits, our purpose, our worldview. All of that is wrapped up in our life. The way that you look at the TV, the way that you interact with people, that, that is your life. The way that you spend your money, the way that you dominate your schedule, that is our life. And Jesus says you must give up your own way. I cannot answer for you what it is that you need to give up or walk away from, but I guarantee you, as the Spirit of God has dealt with me this week, I guarantee you he'll do the same for you. Following Jesus looks more like giving and less like taking and keeping. Following Jesus looks more like investment and influence rather than self-interest. Following Jesus looks more like serving your church than sitting at church. Somebody hear me. You see, this is the truth about denying yourself so that the glory of God may be shown and others will be helped. The church should not have to beg for volunteers. I'm going to get to meddling now. Church shouldn't have to beg for volunteers. Church shouldn't have to beg for volunteers for VBS, for child care. We shouldn't have to go looking and calling the same folks all the time because we are willing to give up what we got going on to help the Lord. Just let that breathe in. As a very practical takeaway and prayer point today, and let me, let me, just, let me, let me make one more statement of this. I'm not going to apologize for what I just said, but sometimes I come off as angry. What I'm telling you is this is my responsibility to teach God's Word. And it is my desire to stand before God just like our former pastor did to preach his word faithfully so that this church may not draw a crowd but be found faithful as disciples of Jesus. As a very practical takeaway and prayer point today, if you desire to follow Jesus, what changes must we make? What steps must we take so that we actually move from one in the crowd to one who is literally giving our life away to follow Jesus? Because as this becomes our reality, we are following Christ. Now, one final thought is this is the last section of my paper, and we've been here probably too long, but here's one final thought. Why would God give us this life if we're supposed to give it away? Why would God give us this life if we're supposed to give it away? Hey, here's a thought. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. There's a bigger picture. Y'all know there's a bunch of folks that came before us and a bunch of folks that will come after us if Jesus don't come back. It's not about you. I want to read this scripture to you in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. The Bible says, All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. I want to invite you to join our church today. You can walk the aisle or you can catch us after. I want to invite you to be baptized, to join the church, to be saved. If you've never made that decision to follow Jesus and God has convicted your heart and mind of sin today, I want to invite you to take the next step away from yourself and towards the Lord. Jesus, we thank you, O oh God, 
for how you laid down your life so that we may experience eternal life. And as your followers, may we do the same. I pray, O oh God, that there would be a holy response from your people so that tomorrow we look even more like you than we did today. I thank you, O oh God, for your grace and your mercy when we don't get it right. I thank you, O oh God, where you hold us, our feet to the fire, where you correct us and rebuke us when we need it. And Lord, would you show us, would you make it plain what we're supposed to do next? Would you show us how we are supposed to give our life away? As we study your word, listen to your spirit, would you help us towards the next step of application? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you worship and respond?